For early access plus exclusive content, facilitated discussions, live one-on-one Q&As, and more, become a patron at patreon.com slash brucepointset. Welcome back to the Black Tastic Adventure. I'm your host, Bruce Poinsett. And on today's episode, I speak with Amber Starks. Amber is an Afro-Indigenous or Black and Native American activist. She is an enrolled citizen of the Muscogee Nation or the Creek Nation, and is also of Shawnee, Yuchi, Kwapa, and Cherokee descent. Her passion is the intersection of Black and Native identity, where she seeks to normalize, affirm, and uplift the multidimensional identities of Black and Native peoples, and to encourage Black and Indigenous peoples to prioritize one another and divest from the compartmentalizing struggles. Her pronouns are she, her, and hers. This conversation was, you know, it's a long time coming. And as I talk with Amber in the interview, it's funny, the last time we spoke was for the state of Black Oregon. And at the time, she had just come off of uh, really spearheading the efforts to pass uh, natural hair legislation in the Oregon legislature and hadn't really done this deep dive into her Native ancestry. So a lot has happened since then, and we talk all about it. Check it out. Amber, welcome to the Black Tastic Adventure. Thank you for coming on today. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm really good. I'm busy, feeling tired, but that's because I have a little one who just started kindergarten and I'm up way earlier than I want to be. But these are the sacrifices you make, you know, um, or the little people you love. But um, I'm learning to navigate that world. not being a morning person, <laughs> but yeah, it's good. Life is busy, but busy because I've chosen a lot of the things that I'm busy about, you know, but yeah, it, it's good. It's like all of us, I think it's, we're just navigating. How about you? Yeah, you know, I'm doing doing all right, kind of in a similar space where life is, uh, life is busy, but I feel like, uh, again, because I'm choosing a lot of the ways in which it is busy it's feeling a good place and you know as we were kind of talking about before uh we just to say we start recording you know uh i guess the the kids think i like puts it in perspective for me just one when you talk about yeah I'll take yeah I'll take the kids to school at five something in the morning but then also <laughs> just watching uh you know like i have to imagine just with the some of the stories of like some of the outbreaks in you know all these different districts that's got to be another kind of stressful as a parent for sure i mean i think i think most of us parents are trying to figure out what's best you know um with the limited options we feel like we have right it's like do you keep kids home do you risk it do you you know like what's best for them um i you know i tend to be on the more cautious side when it comes to my little one um because in the end it's like i want her to have a healthy life you know i want her to be safe um but 
Geez, I think a lot of this reminds me of, you know, puts a lot of things in perspective as far as like how much control do we really have, you know? And I think as someone who likes to be in control, um, the pandemic in general has taught me what I actually, you know, what my limitations of control are. Um, so I think I am learning to be flexible, but also um, trying to really think about like risk, you know, what my level of risk is, you know, um, and, and I don't have to just do that for myself now. Like I have a little person who's, you know, they don't, that's not even something they have to think about. Right. Um, and that's not something they should have to think about, but it's like, I'm thinking about me plus them, you know, and I think that even, you know, early on during the pandemic, it was really, a really interesting thing to, you know, I think all of us are thinking about how we're feeling, like we're navigating, you know, how stressed we are, how overwhelmed we are, you know, when's this gonna end? But then I also seen my little one navigate that. And so it's like, I'm navigating that for me and I'm navigating that for, you know, them. And so it is, it was, it was really hard early on because, you know, you want to protect your little one. You want to make sure that they, you know, they're not stressed out about it. They're not, you know, they're missing their friends. They can't go to the playground. They can't, you know, all those things. And so you're in the house with them. And I can only imagine if I had more than one, you know, I think it would have been emotionally a lot harder. Um, I have friends who say it was it was a little easier for them because if they had two, at least they could play with each other. But I was like my little one's, um, you know, best friend, teacher, cook, mom, you know, all the, everything wrapped into one. And there were points where like, I can no longer sing that song again. Like I am going to throw the TV out the window, <laughs> you know, like you just, like, I don't have the capacity to do four-year-old, you know, 24 seven, you know. Um, but I also feel like there was a lot of time of bonding, you know? Um, I feel like we got clo even closer than we were, um, which is interesting to say because the first two years of their life, I was, you know, I was, I didn't work as much. I was with, like they didn't go to preschool um, until three. And so I was, I think that we had bonded a lot, but then, you know, a year and a half after, they had been in preschool, then we had the shutdown. And then I was back again, that thing, you know, that person um, in their life. And so, you know, at some point, you know, I realized they need to be in preschool. Like they need to be around other kids and socialize. And so then having, you know, the universe be like, nope, we're going back. <laughs> um, it was definitely a transition for me and um but yeah i think that we bonded a lot more and so um yeah it's just been a really interesting time like i think COVID really shook the world up but i also and i say this not saying that we needed this to happen but i think that it really did show us ourselves in a lot of ways right like I think a co I think COVID and you know being on lockdown at least for me really made me stop and slow down in a lot of ways. I think before COVID I was working a lot and I think who I am today like 
I grew in such a short amount of time because I was almost forced to, right? Mm-hmm. And I think I even had to really sit back and think about, you know, my emotional and um, physical and mental health, you know, um, because so much was happening at one time. Uh, and so I think it really kind of forced this growth that I don't know that would have happened, you know, without, you know, this, which is horrible, right? Like, I hate that it it took this because I think about people who have, you know, lost their lives and whose lives have been, you know, unmistakably changed by the pandemic, um, you know, I would never wish this to happen in order for like my personal growth, um, I think is what I'm trying to communicate. So I'm finding, trying to find the goodness in what seems to be, or what is really has been a terrible event, you know, for a lot of people, you know. Right, right. I mean, like you said, you don't want to, you know, romanticize mass trauma events. Yes. But at the same time, it's like these things do, you know, they do force us to grow as human beings. They do, or at least force us really to just, I guess, really look at, you know, like you said, like who we really are. Yes. You know, we learn, we learn a lot about ourselves and our fellow humans for, for better or worse. Yes. During these moments, (laughs) (laughs) we will say it like that, but uh, yeah, you know, we're talking offline, you know, the last time, last time we spoke is like person to person anyway, was back for the Urban League of Portland State of Black Oregon report. So that's, I want to say like 2014 around then. So a little bit, a little bit has happened since then. I I remember I was following you, you know, on social media and I, I remember last time, at least last time I remember like under, specifically under Amber Stark, it's like, Yes. You talked about taking a, you know, social media break or something like that. You know, I hadn't heard from you. I was like, oh, I wonder, wonder what Amber's doing. wonder what Amber's up to these days. And I remember someone had posted, you know, this quote from this account, Melanin Muskogee. I was like, oh, this is, what's going on here? And then, you know, I click and follow and it's like, Amber's, st- what? <laughs> Things have happened. They, there, yeah. there have been some developments. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Could you just talk about, you know, yeah, this uh, kind of like really connecting with your native ancestry and also just like, uh, if you don't mind saying like, you know, obviously talk about like Muskogee, but uh, like what uh, tribes, you know, you are, uh, yeah, the tribes you're a uh, part of. Yes. So I want to preface this as saying um, I I never intended Melanin Muskogee to be what Melanin Muskogee is. Um, but so from the beginning, I a couple years ago my dad passed away, um, and you know in my grief I was you know, trying to connect with him. Like, how do I connect with, you know, this person who I love so deeply, who now, like, there feels like there's this cavern between us that is, you know, 
uncrossable, you know, like there's, there's no way for me to get to the other side. Um, like he's so far gone. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, you know, I just was looking for, I was looking for him, you know, sorry, I'm like, this brings up grief, you know, yeah. brings up yeah. your grief. It reminds no me. Take your time. Um, so I think that I was, yeah, trying to find him again. And I, sorry. So So I think that. Uh, want me to pause it? No, it's okay. Oh, okay. Um, I think I was asking myself, you know, like, who I, who am I, you know, without him? Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to forget him. You know, I don't want. I don't want to forget like the love we have for each other, all those things. And so one of the things like when I was younger, my dad would always remind me, you know, your creek, you know, and as a kid, I didn't really know what that meant because I was, I didn't grow up around my tribe, you know, my nation, you know, in community with my people and but it was a constant reminder. And every year my dad would go to Oklahoma to visit my grandmother, my great-grandmother, or at least my great-grandmother, because my grandmother wasn't living there at the time. And, um, you know, that was always important for him to go back to Oklahoma, um, where my tribe and, you know, my, my family was. Uh, and so there was always like this thing that, you know, your Creek or your Muscogee, but it was, it was an identity that I didn't know how to inhabit, right? I didn't have any like cultural point, um, points of reference because um, we didn't have the internet those days, right? There was no way for me to be connected um, um, being so far away. So after my dad passed, I think that was the first thing that I was like, okay, I need to make sure that I know not only who my dad was in this way, but who I am, you know, I'm saying, you know, I'd say, you know, I'm black and then I'd say, and I'm Creek, but there was always that kind of insecurity around that identity. Um, and so I think my close friends may have known, um, but it wasn't something I was like, like I said, I wasn't inhabit inhabiting it. Um, maybe because I also thought it didn't belong to me really, right? I, I don't know, you know, I, I try to think about my childhood and the times where I, I remember being like, oh yeah, I'm Native American. But again, because of, because of the distance culturally and geographically, it just felt like it wasn't a real thing. So after my dad passed, I started um, talking to my grandmother a lot. Um, 
because I felt like she was the closest thing I had to him. Um, your, your grandma G, right? My grandma, my grandma G, yeah. She's the closest like I had to him. Um, and so I just asked her if we can talk, you know, like I want to know, I don't want to forget him. You know, I don't want, um, yeah, that was the goal. The goal was nothing more than to kind of dis decrease that distance. And so we started talking and just the world kind of unfolded before me about like things I just never knew, which made me even more sad in a lot of ways because I felt like this was my inheritance that I had no access to, right? And it's not that my dad or my grandmother intentionally kept anything, it just, you know, um, it, it, it just is what happens sometimes, right? Like in one or two generations, things can get lost. Um, and so, you know, talking to my grandmother, you know, she would send me pictures. She, um, there was a, a family book that, you know, I got to learn and read about people who came before me. And I mean, I'd see pictures of people who I would walk by and never know because never know that they were my great grandmother or my, you know, great great grandmother or whatever. Um, because they, they are what we would say are phenotypically native, right? And so I had no clue than your creek, right? And so I just started to ask her a lot of questions, you know, what about this? What about that? And she started telling me about her childhood and all these things. And I just thought to myself, I can't let this go. Like, I can't, this can't end with my grandmother. Like, I need to make sure that I know what being Creek or Muskogee in our, like, that's who we call ourselves. We call ourselves Muskogee. We were we were called Creek by the federal government, by um, settlers, because our tribe used to live along the creeks in Alabama and Georgia. So um, so our tribe is the Muscogee Creek Nation. Um, so I'm an enrolled citizen. Uh, and my grandma told me that everybody in my family up to me was enrolled, <laughs> which I'm like, what is going on? Again, like finding out all these kind of things that I'm like, wow, I didn't, I didn't know, you know, and I even asked my grandmother, you know, why we weren't enrolled. And she was probably like, she was like, it's probably just because you guys are in, you know, Oregon and, you know, the tribal office is here. Again, it's about how geography can disconnect people from place, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it was clear to me that there was a lot of work I had to do, you know, so I got online um, and like you said, I had taken a break. I had, you know, my business page up, but I got off um, Facebook and Instagram as myself, uh, maybe right before my daughter was born because social media was this place of like this point of distraction in a lot of ways. And I was like, I have this new person who I want to give my my energy to, my life to, and I want to learn. I want to spend these years with her that I won't be able to, or, you know, she says she's a she, so I'll say she. Um, but she, I know I can't, I won't be able to get back. So, um, 
yeah, I kind of disappeared other than my, my my business. But I got back online because I I knew I needed to connect with community, with um, Muskogee Creek community and culture. Um, and so I started Melanin Muskogee as a way to be discreet, um, to kind of hide in the background, um, hmm. to not like expose myself, right? As far as like, I didn't want a lot of attention. I was there to learn. I was there to, um, yeah, access culture, my culture, right? That that was the intent. And that is the reason why even the name Melanin Muskogee, I knew it would be hard for people to find me. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Which I know you're laughing and I know why you're laughing because now it yeah, is 30 some odd, 30 some odd thousand followers. <laughs> it's yeah. And and so I will say the evolution of being discreet to noun has a lot to do with as I started to really delve into culture and not just particularly with my tribe, um, there is this sense of pan-Indigenous identity, um, like a collective Indigenous resistance, you know, um, us supporting each other, even though we're individual nations, individual sovereign nations, us banding together um, in the spirit of refusing settler colonialism and white supremacy, right? So it's like, even if you just connect, like get online to try to connect with your people, you will quickly start to connect with the network of like folks who are, you know, resisting, proud or just there to be in community online. So native Twitter, native Instagram, you know, just like black Twitter, black, right? Um, and with that, being online, as we all know, then you come across the extremist, you come across um, a, a world of people who, yeah, who, who aren't necessarily there for liberation of everybody. Like they are very much like my people, my people only. I don't care what that costs the rest of everybody else. Right, right. I uh, just want not to cut you off there because we're gonna get to we're gonna get to that. Yes. But I just want to bring it back because I was reading in an article on Indian Country Today where they had a profile on you and they talked about uh just bring it back to your grandma g for a minute that i think you said something to the degree of you know before you didn't really feel like you had permission to really embrace your identity yes and you know when you talk about just uh as far as like this building community and finding others because i think that's another thing i've noticed like within like community within community and other people who are kind of like in this similar space of like, I didn't know that, you know, like, again, like I had permission to embrace this and I'm on this journey too. So can you just, I just like, before we get to, you know, the pushback and all the, all that drama, you just talk about, I guess, some of the more, uh, the positive community building. I, I think I saw something, was it, was it, uh, I want to say Blindian country was like a group or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, and and I did want to like, so I, I will shift 
you know, I wanted to like preface it with like, I got online with, you know, being exposed to all these people and how Melanin Muskogee got to this point where for the first time I did feel like, hold up, you know, I, I heard some stuff and I was like, hold up. And specifically around black natives, like folks who are at the intersection of black identity and native identity. Um, and native identity is both, I will say a political identity as well as a racialized identity, right? But so I had heard some stuff online and it was the first time that I felt like I had permission to say, no, like black natives, inhabit this identity as well. And so I think the first thing I said was, you know, Black natives are native, right? Like just, I just put out one little meme. I was private. I maybe had like, you know, maybe a hundred or two people I was in community with at that point. And so one meme, you know, and I had put my name under it, Melanin Muskogee. Um, and because my account was private, it was just screenshot. And then you know how the internet works, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> More people kind of knocking at my door like, huh, right? And so um, I started, originally, I feel like it was Black natives who were just like, okay, like, yes, like, this is what I've been trying to say. This one little sentence is what I've been trying to say, you know, in my community for years, for whatever. Um, and so I started to build community with a lot of Black natives. Um, sometimes, you know, people identify as Black native, Afro-Indigenous, you know, Black and native, right? So there, there are a plethora of ways for those of us who, you know, descend from both Black and native folks identify ourselves. So building community with Black um, natives, and we just started talking about you know, shared experiences around the ways we're marginalized even within our own, like within native community and some folks even within black community, how um, not people necessarily denying their blackness, but like questioning also their nativeness, you know, like, nah, you're just black, you know, those kinds of things like that. So, you know, really building community. So while I'm on this journey, more black natives, more people who also, you know, our quote allies or want to be and, you know, recognize that, yeah, there are, there are black natives and, you know, I'd hear something else and I'd be like, we need to address that. And so I'd make another little meme, you know, around blood quantum and blood quantum politics within the native community, you know, are rooted in this idea that over generations, people become less native, right? Um, and this was a federal government policy that had natives count their degree of blood on record. So like for, you know, black folks, we don't have a way to be like, you know, when you submit a form to the federal government, I'm three fourths black. Like that's not a thing. Like with us, it's, the, it's kind of the opposite way, right? It's the one drop. It has been about the one drop rule. And I will say that that's changing as well. Like we definitely in the black community are having conversations about who is black, you know, and, you know, that that's a total different subject. But anyway, I think that there are, yeah, there are people navigating politics of who's quite native enough. But for black natives, that is a huge thing because on top of blood quantum, we have our phenotype that we have to deal with 
And you know, that is rooted in white supremacy, which is completely anti-Black, right? Mm -hmm. And so all of us have learned this. So I will say that the Black Native community, like we have been there for each other, right? And so, yes, um, I have been with, um, in community with a couple folks who we started a page called Blending Country where we could highlight Black Native identity, experiences, events, all the things, because we realized that there needed to be a safe space for Black Natives to see themselves. And whether we are reconnecting, those of us who are just now getting into the art cultural aspects of it or have been or grew up fully on the res, speak their language, entrenched in culture. And, you know, what we've learned is no matter where we are on that spectrum of like connectedness, we all kind of navigate the same things, right? It's like, no matter how fluent you are in your language, people still see your phenotype and question whether you're worthy of your identity, whether you're worthy of your inheritance as a native person. Um, and so I will say that I had, I wouldn't be able to be this far without that core group of folks who I do have authentic community with, who we uplift each other, who when we're going through hard things, we can run to each other, who can hold each other accountable, you know, right? Like we, um, and that, that core for me, I feel like has grown over time. Um, and so, yeah, I think being online has been, beneficial for my growth in a lot of ways and my my growth and my identity as a you know black and muskogee woman um and you know i also want to shout out you know shawnee yuchi Quapa, cherokee folks too because you know those are also people that i descend from but i make sure to differentiate between descendancy and like which tribe i'm enrolled in because that is a, how i respect tribal sovereignty you know, I don't say that I'm Cherokee or Quapaw or Shawnee or Yuchi because I'm not enrolled in either of those tribes. But um, those are also, you know, my inheritance. Um, that's the, um, yeah. So it has been, being online, yeah, wasn't meant to be what it is today. I will say, I think the pandemic and the death of George Floyd also kind of um, catalyzed, um, was a catalyst for a lot more people coming online to be in community, right? We're at home, we are faced with, you know, the death of George Floyd. People are starting to have conversations about, you know, white supremacy and in, in the native community, settler colonialism in a way that we hadn't because now we were all forced to kind of be online together. Like, and these things are kind of put in front of us for us to have to navigate. And so I think that, like I said, that forced, uh, uh, that forced growth. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And I think as we started talking about Black Lives Mattering and, you know, how Black folks are treated in this country, that same discussion was happening in Indian country, right? And it's like, I had this core group of folks who we've been talking about it, you know, for a couple years. Like we had been, you know, for the last couple of years, we had been talking about it. And um, 
it kind of presented um, this space for us to talk about it out loud a little more. So even though I was kind of dropping memes every once in a while, like you're worthy of your inheritance, you know, speaking, I was speaking mostly to black natives, like blood quantum doesn't make you less. You look native if you are native, right? You know, I'm just saying these things to remind natives because I, I, I was hearing things contrary to that. And I wanted to buck up against that narrative. Um, and I think I was starting to feel a little bit more um, courageous in my identity. You know, I was learning to inhabit both equally, even though I was still and am still on like my own reconnecting journey, right? So you'll never hear me talk about being Muskogee online because I'm still an infant in my, you know, cultural, the cultural aspects of it. I still don't live in community, but because I have an online um, community, I have been learning a lot. Um, I have been to ceremony now and I have, you know, I was taking a language class, which I need to get back into, you know, for a year, you know, um, so it's like there, I feel like it's my responsibility if I'm saying I'm a Muskogee to do that work. So now because of the internet, I have a way to uh, be a part of a community that I didn't have as a young person, right? And so there's a little less feeling of, um, you know, am I Muskogee, right? And and I will say like, which I said in that article, the thing that I rest on now is my grandmother. My grandmother is the one that told me, you know, you know, you're you're Muskogee. And I whenever people question that or whenever people like buck up against my identity, you know, I remember my grandmother saying like, she's proud of me for wanting to be Indian because she she said she didn't know that she didn't know that I was happy to be Indian, you know, because for her, her identity is Indian, you know, and so I don't think that she was upset at me or anything like that. She just figured that's what it was, you know, like, you know, my mother is a black woman and, you know, my dad is Afro-Indigenous. And so, you know, his dad is black. Um, and so I think that she just kind of was like, you know, maybe she doesn't see herself as Indian. And I was like, grandma, no, I just didn't know. I didn't know it was to this. I didn't know that's, that's what it comes down to. And so, yeah. Absolutely, I'm very much proud to be a black and native woman. And I very much will for the rest of my life inhabit both identities. Um, but I, I have a lot of learning to do. Um, and that's, yeah, that's what Melanin Muskogee was meant to be. <laughs> I mean, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of power in, you know, in modeling the journey to, yeah. to surgery. And like, I think, also, you know, you the way you talk about it, and I don't want to as characterize it necessarily as like downplaying, but you know, you're saying like, oh, it's just kind of like memes, but I was put the my media hat on here. And I think there's there's a lot to effective messaging and like concise and effective messaging. And I think you've clearly displayed like a gift for it with this. Like just, you know, hey. and even just like <laughs> you know, repeating things like words like black liberation and indigenous sovereignty and like seeing those yes. words repeatedly like that 
like that does have you know it has an effect it's important it's good to like just normalize these things for people but you know also again i think a lot of people as you've kind of talked about there's there's a need for validation there's a need to see you know see yourself and not just see yourself but see yourself you know standing proud see people who look like you who have who share your experience and you know again are proud of it are standing in it are you know also you know sharing what you're learning and being you know i also just say like sharing it as this is gonna be a weird frame but like as a human being because i think we always think people need to be like well how dare you speak on this you're not you know you're not this accredited expert. Yes. But but like, most of us aren't. Like, I I think there's definitely value in expertise. Like there's, you know, all conversations about climate change and, you know, vaccines and all that. We could talk, (laughs) well, we could definitely talk about that. But I think there's also value in like, you know, human beings earnestly and honestly, (laughs) I want to emphasize those, you know, doing this research yeah. and you know sharing it again not propagandizing but actually like sharing real experiences real thoughts real real research with people but uh you know to that degree of like you know being super effective of course and you know growing community unfortunately that also brings uh because you kind of alluded to earlier not as much uh what's called unwanted attention or uh a lot of pushback and you know unfortunately you've had to deal with a lot of uh yeah just a lot of you know pushback i feel like from a number of angles could you talk about what that's kind of looked like yeah i think before i answer that i kind of want to address one thing you said because i think it's so important um you know, like messaging and repeating things, oftentimes are also me speaking to myself, right? Because like I said, being that I, this identity isn't new, it's just, this is where it is now for me, right? As a little kid, like I knew I was Muskogee, I knew I was Creek, but I didn't know how to inhabit being both black and native. I thought I had to compartmentalize my identities and you know, maybe just give a shout out to my native side every once in a while. But, you know, now as I start to inhabit that, there is this sense of, you know, imposter syndrome, right? Like, I'm not, who am I to speak to this? I didn't grow up in community. I didn't, you know, I don't have any expertise, right? Like you were saying. And so, I could say the things that I was saying, right? Um, I didn't grow up on the res. Um, but as you alluded to, there's this thing that we have learned about like expertise where it is valid. I think, like you said, in like scientific research and like, you know, if you're coming to speak as an economist, but you don't, you know, you haven't done the work, like who are you, right? And so that's why I say I never speak about being specifically Muskogee. One, because the sacred is sacred, right? You getting online and exposing the sacred to people who that's not, that doesn't belong to them is irresponsible. Um, but also it was, you know, 
I, I'm not an expert. Like I, I wouldn't speak to things, you know, that that I don't have permission to speak to. And so I think that I felt that way, even as a black native woman, like what, um, like who's given me permission to like even speak to this. And so I, I definitely have had to navigate this sense of imposter syndrome, but I think that I was trying to also be, like you said, my authentic self. This is where I'm at. This is what I'm navigating. This is what I'm hearing and realizing that I wanted to counter that for myself, but also for other black natives. Um, and so I think that the pushback in a lot of ways has been rooted in, let's just be blunt, anti-Blackness, right? Folks who can't imagine Black Native people existing because of our black our Blackness is the thing that then detracts from what being Indigenous means, right? Um, or specific, I, so I like to differentiate between native and indigenous because I think indigenous is a global term. There are indigenous people everywhere. But when we talk about native people, oftentimes you're speaking specifically to like the Americas. And in this context, when I'm talking about today is, you know, the US mostly, but there are times where, you know, I feel like we're, we're all having conversations about the Americas and the Caribbean when we say native. Um, so I feel like there's a lot of Native folks who have internalized anti-Blackness. I, sh I should, I want to say they have internalized white supremacy, which anti-Blackness is at the root of that, right? So even though they may be fighting against, quote, white supremacy and the idea of settler colonialism, and for folks who don't know what settler colonialism is, it is about it's the ongoing project of colonialism where the settler replaces the native, right? The intention is to genocide the native um, and steal the land, right? And then whatever, whatever native folks are left to use their native identity for the benefit of the, of the settler, of the colonizer, like of the institution. And so settler colonialism is a project. It is a continuing project which Native folks are enduring today. The removal of us off of lands um, to using politics, um, policies like blood quantum to to slowly do away with the Native, right? Just a, a question. And so I think that uh, there. Real quickly about because you, you talked about blood quantum earlier, but like, what is that as far as like? If someone's like saying, like, what is that? Uh, like, what is the metric on that? I'm just genuinely curious. Yeah. So originally when um, many tribes, I'll, I'll speak specifically to my tribe, the federal government um, had a policy when once we were forced to walk on the Trail of Tears from our homelands in Alabama and Georgia to Oklahoma, which was considered Indian country, um, there needed to be a way to um, keep record of us, right? And so, um, and also to break up communal land, right? Like put put natives on parcels um, uh, of land that eventually would get taken out from underneath because the federal government knew if native folks stayed together in community, that's an act of resistance, right? So, um, 
when in order to document us like for my tribe the dolls rules is this collection of it's the original kind of record keeping the census of our people and so when people were listed on their that rules they whoever usually white men would be like is your dad native is your mom native yes you're a full blood right and then from there, the kids would then be like, oh, is your mom, is your mom full blood or is she half? And then from there, it was just like how they started to then keep record of like what people, how close to full bloodness you are, right? And I will say for those of us who are Black natives, oftentimes people just looked at us and were like, oh, they're Black. So they probably wouldn't even get asked, you know, what's your blood quantum or what is your mom Black? Is your, is your dad you know, a full blood, you know? And so a lot of times black natives weren't listed authentically as who they were because most of the time people weren't able to self-identify. And even on the census, the, the census takers would come out and they would just say, you know, we know this for black folks, like, oh, you know, who lives right there? What's their name? And they would just like write it down however they wanted to write it down. And they would say, oh, you know, you know, they would forget, they wouldn't even know people were in the household, right? Like there, there's a lot of problems with record keeping when people can't self-identify. And so um, even I have black native ancestors who were just listed as black, like on the census. So blood quantum was, you know, started with the, for my tribe, at least with the Dawes Rose. And then slowly it was a way to steal people's native identity from them um, as a, you know, using metrics that we use for like dogs and horses, right? To see like yeah. how close to purebred you are, right? But that was a means again of genocide. We call it paper genocide. So, um, yeah, so I think that this still operates in the native community. Like who's closer to pure blood because there's this notion of like purity equates to authenticity, you know, equates to who we were before colonialism, before contact. And there is this, for some folks, this um, romantiz ro romanticization, romanticizing that happens, um, like let's return back to that. And I've heard people say there weren't black folks before contact. It's like, okay, well, that's a fact, but they're black folks now, right? Like, even if that is the truth, that truth doesn't minimize black natives authenticity nor our birthright. And I usually like to counter that, that argument with the world would have gotten small eventually. People would have like, if it wasn't through colonialism, there would have been another way where folks would have eventually, you know, got together. And when folks get together, folks do what folks do. You know, they build community, you know, they build, you know, relationship, romantic, political, all these things like familial, all those things, kinship. And so I think that, again, this, I want to say that I feel like a lot of this is in response to colonialism. Like people, this is people cope, uh, you know, they're trying to cope with it. But oftentimes it is perpetuating the very things that they claim to be addressing by saying like, we're gonna gatekeep our 
who can be native and who can't be native, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of saying, if you're native, you're native, right? There are people who have internalized white supremacy and settler colonialism to the point where they will deny kinship and familiar relationship to folks simply because they're also black or a number of other reasons why, um, right? So yeah, there has been, since I've been vocal, which again, like this was not my intent. And I think that this kind of just shows me who I am, no matter how much I try to like sit back and be quiet. Like I just refuse to be oppressed. Like I refuse to be a co-conspirator in my own oppression. Um, and that does, it, it, no matter who it comes from, right? And I don't necessarily speak directly to individuals. I, you know, if I see something online that I think is harmful, I try to make a meme or a one-liner that I push back against that idea because I, I think that it's not just that one person who believes it. Right. It stems from something else. And so I'm trying to address ideologies that I know are deeply rooted. And I have to tell myself, like you're pushing up against 400 plus years of, of stuff, you know? Um, and I think I, I, ha I had to learn that lesson the hard way, right? That, you know, even as you're pushing back, there are people who are pushing back harder and aren't trying to do it in a way that's neat and um, open-minded. Like they will use like the dirty tactics of war, which is what it feels like sometimes, right? Oh it's yeah, like, you I know, full-on campaigns. Like full-on campaigns. Really, like they are coming for you. <laughs> yes, and it's so. And what it reminds me of is um, so when when settlers started pushing west, um, when the federal government started pushing west to push native folks off the land, they would hire immigrants, newly immigrated, you know, white men to go on these campaigns to like push the frontier and they would give them permission to do whatever. But one of the main tactics was to engage non-combatant civilians. So they would like drive the warriors over to this place and fight them while then another group of settlers would just go through the villages and just mass do whatever. Like there, it was no holds bar. And so I feel like sometimes in this fight, you know, where I'm trying to, I don't even like to call it a fight. I just, when I'm trying to communicate, like to humanize, as you were saying, to humanize black natives, to, um, to ask folks, and I don't even know, I think it's moved from asking to asserting because I don't need to ask permission to be black and native. Like I am that, whether you want me to be, no matter how much you like, dislike me, how much you dislike my voice, that's not something you have authority to take, right? And that these are things that I've started to really be grounded in the fact that people will, will assume they have authority they do not have. And so, when people are being awful, I remind myself my who my, who I am because of my grandmother, because of my great grandmother, and all the lineages of Native folks who came before me. There is nothing you can say, no matter how much you dislike me, that could take that from me. But I feel like you know, going back to the point of like that no holds bar. I feel like many of these folks participate in that kind of like war against 
um, Black Native folks. It's like, you will do anything, say anything. You don't know me at all, but you will make up any kind of stories so that people, so to discredit me, to discredit anything that I have to say. Um, and that's that's really hard. I mean, there are days that, that it makes it makes me feel like it's dangerous, right? It's like people can put you in positions where that could affect like your real safety, your real life safety, you know? Um, and earlier, early on when I was doing this, I didn't put my picture up. I didn't put, I didn't let people into my personal life. And I, I honestly, I don't even still, right? Like I, you know, people know only a little bit, but I would put personal pictures up. And I will say that I've removed a lot of those because what I realize is that my page also um, is about, it really is about community. Like, I don't want, I don't want people to come on there just to be entertained. Like, I am not for your enjoyment. Like, yeah, I think I've gotten to the point now I understand what James Baldwin means when he says, I'm not your Negro. Like I, I'm not, I'm not your Negro and I'm not your Indian. I am not to be used for you to, you know, especially these folks who are dangerous and horrible um, to use me to grow their accounts, um, to grow their hates, right? And so there will be times where people will comment on things that I say and tell me what I should and shouldn't be doing. And I have just started to say, I'm not your Negro. Like, I understand what James Baldwin means now. Um, I am not here to be digestible, to be palatable. And I'm not, if you want to do that, if you want to talk about those things, go, you, you have a platform, start it, you know? Like, I'm not stopping you. I'm not, if that's something that you're really concerned about, you have permission. And it's not even me giving you permission because I don't have that authority. But I, what you won't do is like come on my page and tell me a black native woman, you know, what what it is I'm supposed to be doing. And I think that's also rooted in this idea of like black folks are supposed to conform and especially black women, black femmes, you know, we are expected to bear other people's crap, you know. But that's your issue, not mine. If you don't like me, just say you don't like me. And then there's the door. I can help you go that way if you want. I can block you. Um, but I think that that's so easy to say. There are days where, dang, like it is rough to have to navigate people disliking you because you are asserting your right to exist, that you're asserting, you know, you're asserting your humanity, you're asserting, you know, your lineage and your culture. Um, and I will say that this happens on both sides though, because there are a group of black folks who also participate in the erasure of indigenous people. You know, they claim to be the original um, natives and Israelites and all these things. And they're, they're just as terrible, you know? And so you get it on both sides where, you know, these anti-native, Israelites, hoteps, whatever they want to call themselves. I don't know what they call themselves. And I think there's maybe multiple names. You know, they'll call you, they'll call me a sellout or they'll call me a race trader or whatever, right? 
And so when I'm talking, I'm not trying to engage either of these two extreme folks, but they show up. And one of the things that I've noticed about the anti-Native Black folks is that they will use Black Natives who are actually Black and Natives as proof of their like theories about being the first, the original peoples, the Aboriginal peoples. They will use our identities and our pictures to as proof of that narrative. And we're like, hold up, no, no, we are not, this is not what's it. But then the people on this side will say, see, look at them, they're on these pages and they, they believe these theories. And, and so there's like this constant, like trying to stay safe from these two extreme ideas, um, extreme, very anti-Black folks, and then these extreme, very anti-Native folks, right? And even though there's like moderates in the middle, just like we kind of make fun of like the idea of liberals, you know, who are supposed to be like these safe, open-minded people, that sometimes they will take from both of these ideas, right? And then it will get kind of mixed up into their own politics. And so I feel like, I feel like I was a little naive, <laughs> you know, in thinking that one, there is, and, and I don't even know that I like thought that like, oh, I'll be safe. It's more that I didn't think that I had to worry about being safe just for simply saying, you know, I'm black and native. Like I never thought about people wanting to harm me or people wanting to send folks after me, you know? Um, and I think, like you said, I always, I try to repeat Black liberation and Indigenous sovereignty because I'm at the intersection of that identity. And I realize like Black and Native folks have been fighting this since contact. You know, Black folks being, you know, the descendants of Indigenous peoples of Africa dealing with colonialism and settler colonialism there, but then also dealing with being trafficked and that, you know, being stolen um, and brought then to a land where that another colonial settler colonial project was happening and genocide was happening, right? And so both of our peoples have been enduring settler colonialism, colonialism, and the projects of white supremacy. And I would add on top of that racial capitalism, where our bodies and our lands and our resources have been commodified, right? And so here in the Americas and specifically in the US, we have all been navigating that. And one of the things we also have been navigating is the way these projects have pitted us against one another, right? To have us see, to dehumanize one another, um, to have us co-opt the hierarchies that exist. And I think that the thing about it, it's not something that we just willingly accepted. There were consequences for when we didn't accept it for when we chose to um, refuse these systems. And I think that that even happens today, right? Um, and so I think that I'm asking Black and Native folks to understand that we have a common oppressor. And though we have some unique um, experiences and some, some unique situations that we have to deal with, all of this is rooted in the same thing, in the very same thing. Um, 
and that we shouldn't, if we're, if we're saying we want a liberated Black future, we can't participate in settler colonialism, the erasure and the genocide of Native folks. And if we as Native people say that we want a sovereign Indigenous future, we can't participate in the commodification, the exploitation, um, and anti-Blackness you know, with uh, Black folks, right? We have to be very intentional about the future we're trying to build. Um, and I think that our predecessors, our ancestors, you know, we're fighting this very same, you know, thing in a different way, but there's so much of it that is just a repeat, right? Like it's not new. Our, our oppressors aren't that genius. They're using the same tactics. They're very cheap, bloody, you know, no holds bar, but they're not genius. And so I think that we have to be willing to have that conversation of like, you know, yes, we have, this has been going on for a very long time and it feels overwhelming that we're incapable of like moving past it. But I think if we can contextualize it as like, they're not that genius. They're just using the same tactics, right? But I think that we don't then have to deny what kind of real power they have, right? Like they have nukes and they have tanks and they have, you know, just looking at Standing Rock or the other pipelines that we're trying to push against. They have legal systems, right? Um, that we are, that are very real forces against us, which the same thing our ancestors had very real forces against, you know, starvation and, you know, um, disease, right? Smallpox blankets, thinking about those things. Um, and then all these like bloody wars that were ho no hose bar. So I'm not saying they're not genius without also contextualizing the real power that they have because of the weapons that they have, right? But I'm I think I'm trying to address this, right? Like, let's not think of our oppressors as more genius than we, because that is a lie. In fact, I I would argue that it's not genius. It's just it's just really um, no hard no holds bar tactics. Um, do whatever it takes, you know, by any means necessary on their part, right? Um, so yeah, it's the violence. I think that people who refuse to um, co-opt and participate in, you know, white supremacy and settler colonialism, even within community, folks don't like it. They have expectations of me as a Black Native woman. They have expectations I will sit idle um, and say nothing and be complacent and then also co-opt. Like I, I'm supposed to perform in a certain way. And so when I don't, you know, I'm a troublemaker and I'm a, I'm not a real Indian. Like, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I refuse those, you know, I refuse those ideas. And the, the interesting thing is I'm not even here to fight those people. I'm here to like affirm black liberation and indigenous sovereignty. I'm here to affirm black native identity. I'm here to celebrate the ways we have refused, both Black and Native folks. I'm here to continue envisioning a future that's better than this, to take up my, you know, 
take up the baton in my generation to contribute to the conversations, um, the strategies, the movements of resistance. Like I feel an obligation to that. I feel like, you know, Audre Lorde reminds us that, you know, our silence won't save us. So being silent doesn't make, won't make me more liberated. Um, even when people try to silence me, if I'm quiet, I'm still enduring the same violence. It just looks different, right? So, I mean, shout out to Toni Morrison and Audre Lorde and um, James Baldwin, who I feel like have been my teachers, my ancestors, you know, in a lot of ways that for my Black, you know, teaching me about what it means to be Black and teaching me about movement, about resisting, you know, boldly. And then I feel like my grandma and native people in general, um, like we've come so far and I mean, how dare I not bask in both of my peoples? You know, how dare I not be proud to be both of my peoples? And I want to say that this makes me, me basking, me inhabiting, me loving being Black and Native brings me closer to my dad. You know, I feel like in a lot of ways that cavern has gotten, you know, the distance has gotten shorter. I mean, it still feels like he's very, very far. But I think that um, I had a dream once that I was you know, I was pregnant. I was like eight months, almost nine months pregnant. And I felt like I was like, the baby was doing something. And I was like, I got to get to the hospital, but I, I didn't have my car for some reason. So I was like in rural, I think it was Oklahoma in my, in my dream. So I like, you know, walked over to the neighbor um, and I was like, can I borrow your truck? I need to go to the hospital. And they were like, yeah, sure. And it was like this old, mint green like Chevy truck like one of those 1960s with no power steering whatever like this dream was so detailed and I have no idea why <laughs> but you know I get in this truck and it's like the power there's no power steering so I'm like I have this big belly and I'm driving and I'm like okay I gotta get to the hospital and as I'm driving I see this guy on the side of the road next to like a John Deere tractor or something and he's just kind of sitting out there like taking a break or sitting down you know, and as I get closer, I realize it's my dad. And in my dream, I think I was aware that he had passed, but it was like, oh, I get to see him again. Like, oh, okay. So I, you know, I'm trying to slow down and I trying to turn around to like, you know, talk to him, but the, the steering is so tough that I have to like drive up and go through this field and like force the, the truck to turn around. You know, I finally get back to you know, my dad and I was like, hey, and he he says to me, uh, you got any room in there for me? And I say, yeah, you know, jump on in. And so, you know, we're driving to the hospital and we're silent, like we're not nothing. And then he just looks over at me and said, you know, I just want you to be happy. And I woke up and I kind of took that as like, you know, he's proud of me and he just wants me to be happy, right? And so um, a lot of this, you know, Melanin Muskogee is a culmination of, 
refusing systems, you know, basking in my identity, learning about the importance of community, because what I've understood, what I've come to understand is that solidarity and allyship cannot happen outside of community. Therefore, I don't owe people community who want who want to be violent against me, even if they look like me, even if they come from my peoples, right? I don't owe solidarity to people who want to harm me. Um, and so at even as my account gets bigger, like I don't want it to be about people following me. I don't, I am not, I am not a commodity. And the and these platforms oftentimes reward us with likes and follows as a way to like boost our sense of self. And myself can't be in the about who's how many people are following me and how many people like what I have to say. And I recently went on private because that's what I realized is that, you know, I was on private originally. A lot of my words were getting, you know, put out there via screenshot. And they got to the point where I couldn't sift through people to see because, you know, I didn't originally, I didn't want a lot of people, but it got to be so much that I just went public. Like I can't, I don't have time. Um, but again, I think I was a little naive in thinking that it, it'll be fine. Like, don't worry about it. Um, but now I've kind of reverted back to being on private and I see myself being on private kind of indefinitely. Maybe something will change my mind. But it's because I realized that online is not community. It doesn't equate to community just because you have a lot of people following. And maybe everybody doesn't deserve to hear what you have to say, right? Like I, because people will try to commodify you. And as a black body, I really understand that. Like I understand the ways that black people are often used to then sell product, you know, and, and I'm not saying this doesn't happen with everybody, but I think that the history of black bodies in this country has been that, and particularly black women, black femmes. Um, I think I'm just highly aware of the violence that having a black body brings, especially when it's, it's a body that's refusing its own oppression, right? my own oppression and I don't want to walk around every day worried or concerned. I don't want to like I'm a I'm I'm trying to get liberated, you know? And I ask myself, why are you doing this? Like why do you feel the need to do this? Why do you feel the need to say this? And it always comes back to these are my values and I want to be free. I want black folks to be free. I want native folks to be free. And so I feel like, again, how can I be silent in my own oppression? How can I be silent in my people's oppression? I mean, these systems, at the end of the day, these systems don't work for us. So, again, there's just power. There's power in modeling that. And, you know, and I think there's a lot of power in, again, not having necessarily a set pathway of saying, you know, you said you started off private then kind of you went public and then hey, going back private again saying look recognizing there's a lot of power in your representation and i think there's a lot of people you know 
or better for being able to, you know, see what you're doing. But at the same time, it can also be better for seeing, hey, I'm not, I don't have to be a martyr. I don't have to be, uh, you know, just because we say, like, like you talk about the commodification of Black people and Black bodies. And even when people feel like they're, you know, quote unquote, lifting us up, it's through, again, this this demand of labor, this demand of service, this demand of martyrdom, or through this prison, this prism of struggle, as opposed to like as full, really as full human beings. A lot of people, I don't think, just because there's a whole rant about just how deep white supremacy goes and anti-Blackness in particular, where we just have trouble, even Black people, like have trouble seeing ourselves as fully human interacting and engaging with each other as you know embracing our full humanity but yeah so again it doesn't it's the path isn't always linear it's it is messy but you know that's that is the journey we're all we're all trying to figure out these answers we all right I think I've commented on one of your stories about just, you know, yeah, just like, we don't have all the answers, but, you know, we're starting to figure out at least the right questions to ask to to get us there. But I say all that to say, you know, this might be a good point to wrap up this part of the interview. Uh, You know, you had also kind of just talked about, you know, how we start organizing, uh, you know, what we do have, you you talked about how, you know, recognizing that the people trying to oppress us, it's not that they're geniuses, but there is real power. And I want to continue that conversation for uh, patrons in a little bonus segment we're going to do talking about small power, talking about, you know, the realities of, you know, the systems we're going against the, you know, what it, what the, uh, Kind of like what the fact that a lot of these things we talk about as far as sovereignty, liberation, these policies around it are actually very popular, you know, but what does it actually mean to get there? But like I said, we're going to talk about that in the bonus. So if you want to see that, make sure to subscribe to the Patreon, patreon.com slash Bruce Poinsett. But for this portion of the interview, we're going to wrap it up. And I want to say again, Amber, thank you so much for, you know, the knowledge, the the vulnerability really in your story that you're you know willing to share you know especially all things considered so thank you again thank you for having me thank you for valuing you know my contribution to the struggle <laughs> absolutely thank you for watching please like and share and subscribe so you can stay up to date on all the latest videos thank you